Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Believe in Pit Football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Doran Dickerson, alongside Jared DePaula of the Tribune Review, former All Big East quarterback Bill Stahl. And our new co-host, Scott McKillop, former All-American. Fellas, uh, round the horn real quick. How's everybody doing? Can't wait for the game. It's a big one for Pitt. Big game. Big game. Can't wait. Can't wait. Time for the season. We'll see how they measure in the SEC. And, you know, it's the first true test of the year. Well, let's let's reverse back a little bit and, and really uh, give a little recap of what happened on Saturday. 51-7, to 7, uh, the Pitt Panthers, they, they obviously beat UMass, and it was a game that they were supposed to win. It was a game that they were supposed to go in and dominate, um, and they got up. They got out of the game somewhat healthy, which is the big biggest point. Uh, in your guys' opinion, do you think that Pitt dominated? Do you think that they took care of business the way they were supposed to? Yeah, yeah I think so. You know, it started off slow, you know, with the alignment penalty that, you know, you, you shouldn't have. You practice all all the month of August, and you figured the guys know how to line up, but apparently they didn't. Then you had the uh, in the third quarter, I guess you had the bad snap over Nick Patty's head, and that that was kind of ugly. Um, and you know, Narduzzi seemed to like the running game. You know, when I talked to him on Monday, he seemed to think everything was okay with the running game. But I think in the back of his mind, he wants to find that bell cow, you know, that that, that one running back or maybe two running backs that he he can trust to to. Uh, carry the load when things get bad. And he played Rodney Hammond, the, the, the freshman running back, had more carries than anybody else. And Izzy Abanacanda, who I'm going to talk about later on, you know, only had seven carries, you know, for I think 30 or 40 yards. Uh, not bad, but uh, I think this Pitt team really needs to have balanced offense in order for Kenny Pickett to really show his true colors. Bill? Yeah, yeah I really think that, um, yes, they did take care of business. The score reflected of what it should look like as far as what we believe Pitt could could do. But there are absolutely some of those first game of the year mistakes. I mean, we dropped a touchdown. We fumbled the ball. We had, I, I believe, five, five fumbles, and we lost two of them. Uh, you know, some things like that that we absolutely have to clean up that we cannot, cannot happen again in the SEC. Period. I think defensively, I, I think, you know, what Narduzzi always wants to do is make a team one-dimensional. And I think, you know, uh, his, his, uh, and his DNA is to, you know, stop the run, you know, force the, the quarterbacks to, to beat him with the arms. And I think that's exactly what they did. You know, I, I think they had some guys step up that maybe they didn't count on. You know, I, I think Patricia had a beautiful game, which is always good to – to see someone in his situation. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I think this week is going to be a true test because, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it later in this podcast, but you know, what Tennessee does is going to prevent a challenge, but you know, it's, you know, it's been an opportunity for, for the defense to check the box. Yeah. Everything presents challenges. I mean, you know, you, you can't overlook anybody, you know, even a UMass, you have to go in there and you have to be detail oriented. And I think that Pitt somewhat uh, for the most part, they did that. Um, you know, I mean, the score showed, I, I feel like guys like uh, Jalen Barden looked like he could, you know, be a playmaker and explosive player on this team. 
Uh, you know, you still need to eliminate the drops. Uh, Jordan Addison showed up. Lucas Kroll showed up. So the guys that, in my opinion, that were supposed to show up, they did show up. And, you know, they got out of there unscathed and, and un- unharmed, which is the, the biggest part. And now they head to to Tennessee, to, to Knoxville. And, you know, as we all know, and, you know, Bill, Bill Scott and myself, we never had a chance to – I don't think – we didn't play an SEC team when we were in college, right? No. Pete hasn't played an no, SEC no. team since they played – Mississippi in the uh, uh, Compass Bowl 2012. Right. So, you know, I haven't played an SEC team in a long time, and now you're going down to Knoxville. We all know about Knoxville growing up, the volunteers, you know, the peerless, peerless prices, the Peyton Mannings, T. Martins, you know, watching those games growing up and just seeing, you know, the, that burnt orange and white uh, throughout the stadium. They hold 100,000-plus in their stadium. Um, it's probably going to be full. This is going to be an electric game. It's going to be a big game for the Panthers. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a big game for crowd noise. And how do you prepare for that? So we will get into that in a little bit. But right now we'll have DePaul's debrief. And, Jerry, you've been at practice uh, this week. You've uh, listened to Narduzzi speak. Um, What is on, on Narduzzi's mind heading into the second week of the season? Well, I think he and his team, his players, are low-keying it this week. Uh, we asked several players this week, and, and Kenny Pickett wasn't one of them, but we asked several players if this game is is, is kind of a tone setter, kind of something that uh, is a little more important than your your average non-conference game. And to a man, including Narduzzi, everybody said this is just another game, another game on a schedule. It's a it's a big it's the biggest game because it's the next game, and they have brought out all the cliches, and which is what coaches and players seem to do, and the, these players seem to. Uh, you know, mimic whatever the coach says. Uh, they have a lot of respect for the man, so I think that's why that when he when he speaks, they listen. And then they parrot the uh, quotes back to the media. Uh, but this is this is an important game for Pitt, and it's going to be a difficult game for Pitt. Easily their their most difficult non conference game. And, and, and a couple things that Narduzzi said uh, after the game. One thing Narduzzi said after the game really bothered me, and we we, we talked about this amongst ourselves. Uh, he said it was the game against UMass was nothing more than than a scrimmage, you know. You know that's definitely demeaning toward the team he just beat, and maybe he doesn't care because he's not going to play UMass again. He doesn't care what they think, but it's in, instructive to me because it tells me that he knows that whatever happened in that 51-7 game, no matter how many passes Pickett uh, completed, how, how many blitzes they had, how many sacks they had, doesn't matter. That's a game they should have won. They won big. Okay, that's fine. Let's forget about it. Move on. Now you got a team, a Tennessee team, that beat Bowling Green thirty-eight to six. You know, in, in their first game, yeah, that, that's a, a better team that they, they than, than UMass, and then they ended up taking care of business like they should. Uh, the problem I have with the game, and you know, it, it seemed to me they ran for over two hundred yards as a team. But it didn't seem that way when you watched the game. It didn't seem like, like seven or eight guys were running the football. And, and they can't. And Rodney Hammond has a very talented back. He's a little guy, but he can't carry the load. Is he a band of candidate to me? Is the guy that needs to carry the load? He's their strongest back, I think. He's their fastest back compared to the, the speed he carries. And if he can't run the ball uh, like Narduzzi uh, bragged about, he was going to run the ball all through training camp. I think his team is going to have trouble having having a balanced offense. I really do, you know. And um, I, I think that Pitt. Is a better team than Tennessee. They probably are deeper in a lot of positions. They're definitely deeper. You know, they go two or three deep in a, a lot of different positions. Which Pitt hasn't done in many, many years. 
And and that's one thing that, that uh, Narduzzi keeps harping on is that we have enough guys who can play. It's going to be warm down in Knoxville. So your, your defensive line, you need to rotate those guys through. Your linebackers. John Patricia came off the, off the bench and had, had a couple of sacks. Uh, Savasier Dennis looks like a really good middle linebacker, a guy that is a good penetrator and a smart kid who, who makes the right calls. Uh, you know, sort of like a, a latter-day Scott McKillop, I think. You know, but um, I think <clears throat> the, the key to the game is going to be how they handle the noise. Okay, it's going to be very noisy. And, and on that note, I did talk to Jackie Sherrill yesterday. And back in the 80s, Pitt played uh, Tennessee at, in Knoxville twice, 1980 and 1983. And uh, Sherrill told the story, a very interesting story, uh, about how he handled the noise when he brought his team down there about 40 years ago. Um, before the game, he had his two, two Allegheny County deputy sheriffs, the guys who walked, walked around with him, made sure that nobody you know, bothered him during the game or after the game. He, got, he gave them wire cutters. He told the, 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 the police guys, the sheriffs, to go up to the speakers they had lined up. There these huge speakers lined up on both sides of the field, the kind of speakers you might see at a rock concert. He told these, uh, Ray Goga and Johnny Parker, the two sheriffs, here, take these wire cutters and cut the wires. So he did. These guys did. They, went, they cut the wires, and they fixed them somehow. And, and before, the, before the kickoff, sheriff, Cheryl sent them out again, and they cut the wires again. <laughs> to sort of mitigate the noise that was coming through. And, uh, you know, I guess 40, 41 years later, Cheryl doesn't mind talking about it. But, you know, another thing he, he, he did, which I thought was very interesting, uh, Cheryl told me, was when they were running out onto the field, uh, the TV wanted them to run, run on the field right away, get out in the field. He wanted to wait. He said, I want my team to go out when Tennessee goes out because you can't boo and cheer at the same time. So he figured <laughs> if they ran out together, they would be too busy cheering to boo his team. Penn ended up winning 30-6. to six. Uh, Rick Trucano replaced Dan Marino in that game because Marino was hurt. But 30-6 uh, is not going to be the final score of this game. I think it could be, you know, what, what happened in 1983 when Pitt, you know, didn't play very well, and they ended up winning 13-3, to three, you know, in, in a defensive struggle. It could be that kind of game again, I think. Well, it's going to be an interesting game. And, you know, in another, there's a lot of little tidbits that, uh, you know, I'm interested in uh, watching during this game. And, and one of them is Josh Heupel, who is the head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. He was the head coach at UCF, and he was head coach whenever Pitt played them, and they ran the Pitt special to win the game. Um, you know, watching some of the highlights of Tennessee, and I thought they took care of business against Bowling Green. And what obviously stuck out and probably was is the biggest – um, you know, thing that you have to prepare for is how fast they run their plays on offense. They run their plays from seven to seven to 10 seconds on offense. And you know what, and we'll get into it later with, with Bill, but now we'll go, we'll head right into 40 and five with Bill Stahl. You know, Bill, how, how is it to prepare, say you're a quarterback and say you're Joe Milton, who is the starting quarterback for Tennessee. Uh, how is it to prepare for a NASCAR or fast paced up-tempo offense for the whole game. Like I, I know that we've had times where we ran two minute offense and we ran that as our base offense, maybe to start a game and obviously to end a game or to try to catch up. Um, how do you think it is for him to prepare to have that offense for the whole entire game? Let's get underneath the helmet of Joe Milton and seeing how he attacks uh, each defenses and how he runs that offense. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head with that Dorn. Uh, you said the magic word tempo. Uh, tempo is tempo is what is going to drive this type of offense, and what helps tempo is completions. 
completing the rock, moving the chains. Simple is fast in this type of offense. This is a concept-based offense. You make it as simple as you possibly can, so then you don't have to think. Muscle memory kicks in for these receivers. The quarterback can just literally walk up to the ball each time, spitting out verbiage, and but it is a quick, fast transition as far as getting that message from the line, from the sideline, whether they're holding up a a, a one stat picture, which I saw on Twitter. Uh, that that was one of the the heads that I guess Pitt had on on, on the sideline, which was funny. Uh, but or whether they're calling out numbers and looking at the wristband. Point is, it is all based on tempo, completions, simple as fast mentality, and moving the chains, and which is extremely difficult from a defensive standpoint because how the heck can you substitute? You can't get guys in and out. If I'm moving the chains and I'm moving and I'm literally walking and slightly jogging up to the line of scrimmage and and where the clock's running, you can't switch guys in and out. You're stuck in that same defensive personnel grouping, but if you have depth at multiple positions that Pitt does, you can be in one personnel grouping and run your entire playbook out of all different formations. So I think that is a, an extreme you know, advantage to the team running that type of offense, but there's also a double-edged sword. If you don't have tempo, if you don't have completions and that clock does stop, now you get the defense a chance to recharge, get new people out there. And now obviously they're, they're up, they're up to the to, to speed of what you're doing. And it stop stopping the clock is what kills a drive and up upbeat tempo offense like that. And especially uh third getting getting them in third and long defense coming up with a big stop. Those are drive killers, uh, which I think we're gonna need pressure from up front from Pitt uh and, and their front seven to go ahead and you know slow down that up that up tempo offense. Scott, from a leadership standpoint, did uh did you see enough out of Kenny Pickett? Did you see uh, you know obviously they played UMass and uh, as Jerry said, and Narduzzi said, it was a, basically a glorified scrimmage. Did you see enough out of Kenny Pickett uh, to give you confidence in him leading this team, maybe to a, a you know division championship or a conference championship this year? One hundred percent. I mean, I, I think you know, like like Bill said, there were some things that he could have wor- uh, improved and done a little bit better. But you know, first time with a real crowd, first first game of the season, knocking off some of the rust. You know, I, I think the rains will come off completely this week and you're going to see the, the, the full full bag of, of plays, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, just as excited as I was when he announced he was coming back, you know, still excited with him. I mean, and to, to piggyback off what Jerry said about, you know, Narduzzi's comment about it being a scrimmage game, it's, it's kind of ironic that when the shoe's in the other foot and another coach says something related to what he says, it's okay, referring to when, you know, some certain coach at Penn State made a comment about that, but it's okay if he says it. And it's, I just, you know, it's very hypocritical, but it is what it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited for um, the defense. I think this is going to be a good matchup for what Narduzzi does defensively, making them one dimensional and trying to take away 
you know, like Bill said, is the concepts, you know, understanding how to attack a, a cover four team. Where's the holes? You know, it's, it's the flats. It's the, the dig routes, which is a 10 to 12 yards right behind the, the linebackers in front of the, the, the secondary. It's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think this is going to be a, a true test. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it's a make or break game, but, you know, it's, it, it's a huge game for Pitt. It's a huge game for Narduzzi. And it's, it's a huge game for Kenny Pickett. Jerry, uh, you know, I mean, you always hope that everybody comes out of the season or comes out of each game healthy, Um, and especially Kenny Pickett, your quarterback guy that's coming back, is your leader of the team. Um, But last year he did get hurt for a couple games, and they had to turn to their backup. In this game, we saw three backup quarterbacks. uh, Nick Pat, We saw three quarterbacks, two backups, Nick Patty and Davis Bevel. Um, Were you impressed with either of them at all? Were you impressed with, you know, how those guys played? Um, Patty to me seems like a, a, a kind of a tough guy back there. He is he's a big barrel chested guy uh, who runs around pretty well. Bevel, I think is young needs a lot of work. Uh, he has some ability. Uh, he's tall. So, you know, you can see over the, see over his offensive lineman, which a lot of quarterbacks uh, can't do. But I think that if you look at the way they throw the ball in practice, uh, Patty throws a nice ball. Patty throws the second best ball compared to, uh, Pickett. So, you know, last year, you know, Patty had a little injury. Uh, I think he might have had some problem with COVID. Uh, and and, and now he's he's healthy, and he's a uh, genuine number two quarterback. And Pitt really didn't have one of those last year, you know, uh, with, with uh, uh, the, the Arizona State transfer who came in and played against Notre Dame in Miami. And um, and then when, when Pickett played against Clemson, came back in the game against Clemson, most of his offensive line was hurt. Um, but the one thing Pitt has going for it uh, this week, I believe, is that Joe Milton is a big quarterback, hard to bring down, okay? That, that's going to be, you know, incumbent on those defensive linemen, those, like Danielson and, and Cansey, uh, to get in there and penetrate and Baldonado and bring this guy down. But they, they can make – if they can stop the run game, which is what Narduzzi wants to do above everything else, right, Scott? He wants to stop the run more than anything. Uh, and if he can make a guy like Milton – who you know crapped out up at uh, Michigan and really isn't that accurate, even though he's a big athletic guy. Uh, I, I think that could be the difference in the game. I think Pitt, you know, can can get an edge on the on on in the game, get ahead in the game, uh, if they can stop the run and force Milton to beat him, beat him. Because I don't think Milton is good enough to beat them. Bill and Scott, this question is for you. Uh, you know, explosive plays are really what, you know, offensive football is. And you have to have explosive plays in order, in my opinion, to win games. And Pitt had a couple explosive plays this weekend, as they should have. Um, Jalen Barden, it was a guy who had explosive plays. Uh, Jordan Addison, Lucas Kroll, they had a couple nice plays. Um, and those guys need to keep producing like that if they want their offense to be successful this year. Uh, for, for On the offensive side, Bill, how, you know, how much of a drive changer is explosive plays? And, you know, when do you dial up those plays? Is it a feel thing? Is it a situational thing? Um, you know, some offensive corners, I feel, approach it differently, uh, you know, for explosive plays. Like maybe if you're backed up, you want to take a shot. Uh, maybe in, you're in the midfield, you want to take a shot. Obviously, red zone. Um, you know, how when, – when is the right time for explosive plays? You have to have explosive guys to make explosive plays, and some guys do it themselves. Sometimes you can throw a drag route, and a guy takes it 80. You know, I get that. But I'm talking about the deep explosive plays that need to be made in a game. And then on the flip side, you know, how do you uh, – for Scott, how do you stop and prevent explosive plays? Like, how will Pitt try to try to stop uh, Joe Milton 
and his group of receivers and running backs by making explosive plays. Bill, we can start with you. So just to recap some of the some of the uh, explosive plays from from last week's game against UMass. I mean, you know, Jalen Barton take, taking the top off the coverage, showing the ability to do that. That is huge. Um, you know, just being able to, like Doran said, throw throw a little drag route. I mean, we throw we threw maybe four or five smoke screens. You know, quick little screens, whether it be a bubble screen that that Jordan Addison takes takes to the crib. It quick, decisive, clean throws, very accurate. You know, type of completion throws and letting your playmakers make their plays, which Pitt has proved they do have uh, the guys to make those plays. But from going in, going in the mindset of, of an OC, you know, when do you want to utilize those plays? You got to start where your starting point is. If you're starting backed up now, now we're playing chess. Now, now we're going into, you know, your meat and potatoes and heart of the game plan of getting out of the red zone and getting into the middle, you know, backed up in the red zone, getting into the middle of the field. And then now you're playing that hash, that hash game, you know, your plays that you like on the right hash, left, left hash. Um, and obviously down a distance is going to dictate those things. But, um, you know, when you're backed up there, you can't really, you know, you're, you're going to be going on, you know, hard counts to try and get, get out of that, you know, backed up mentality. That's why sometimes you're going to see people take shots on, on a deep throw because there's no other where, no other way to go except forward. You can't go back into the end zone, of course. Uh, but you see those, those uh, explosive plays and big shot plays when you're backed up. Uh, and then sudden change type of thing. So whenever the defense uh, gets a big stop or a big turnover, uh, recover a fumble, uh, an, an interception, um, sudden change type of th- types of things when the defense is running onto the field and then all of a sudden Pitt throws a flea flicker and now it's a touchdown for 50 yards down the field. You're able to do that because things are not necessarily settled in for the defense it's the first play, you know, guys are just running off, running onto the field, still buttoning up their chin straps. Now they're, now they have to hurry up and think about what's going on. It's a way for the offense to, to catch them off their toes, keep, you know, and may, maybe catch an easy touchdown in that aspect. Uh, but Doran's point, you had, we have the playmakers. We got the person who, who can throw the rock. Uh, we have guys who can run the rock. Uh, explosiveness can come from the backfield too. And a few of those runs that Izzy, Izzy had coming straight downhill was extremely explosive from that zero yard mark to 10 yards where he's coming. He's falling downhill. That's one of those guys who's going to fall downhill and drag a few people. And he has explosiveness all over him, just like a lot of other guys as well. Now you bring up the sudden change, uh, you know, a point where, um, that's where some teams like to take a shot is whenever, you know, there's a fumble, there's a turnover, offense gets a ball, you want to take a shot to catch the guys off guard. Uh, it reminds me of my times where I'm not going to name his name. Uh, one of my former teammates in the NFL, we would like to go play blackjack. And he said, when the dealer gets blackjack, that's whenever you press your bet. Because the odds of the dealer getting blackjack again are very slim. And that's whenever you start making your money, you want to double your bet. So that's what reminds me of the sudden change. And I'm all about that. I'm all about sudden chase. I'm all about taking shots and scoring points. Scott, on your end. And you're you know, all about from, making money in blackjack, too. And right? I'm, all, I'm all about making money, too. I love love making money, Jer. Uh, it's because, Scott, on your end, uh, as a defensive guy, how do you prevent that from happening? How do you 
how do you start? Is it blitzing? You know, some coaches like to blitz, some don't. Um, some like to stay in base defense, some like packages, some like delta packages like like pit. How do you prevent a team from for uh creating those explosive plays like Joe Milton, you know, especially let, let's dig a little bit deeper, especially like a game like this weekend, whenever you're, you're, you're subbing guys in and out. Um, it's a seven to 10 second offense. You're moving, moving fast. You're thinking, you're trying to just react, but you're still thinking how, how can Pitt stop Tennessee from creating those explosive plays on Saturday? I mean, I think it's just, it's pretty simple, you know, fundamentals. I mean, I, I think the, uh, you know, explosive plays are one of the things as a defensive coach that you try to eliminate, whether you recognize uh, anything over a 10-yard run or anything over a 20-yard pass as, as an explosive play. I, I think that's important, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, as being on the Pitt staff many, many years ago in Narduzzi's first year at Pitt, that was one of the things that was, you know, one of the things that they emphasized with the players is eliminating explosive plays. You know, and I, I think that all just starts with fundamentals, reading, reacting, you know, and, and with, you know, the offense, it just, this is going to present some challenges to the defense. It's just getting aligned right, recognizing your keys, and playing fast. Because what they want to do is they want to put you in a situation where, you know, the, the three-yard gain, six-yard gain, 12-yard gain, 15-yard gain, 10-yard gain, six-yard gain, next thing you know, they're on the, uh, the goal line and they're scoring. So the biggest thing is, you know, it just, you know, it starts up front with the defense. You know, it's, I mean, the defensive line, it's, it's going to be, you know, difficult in a game like this to really create havoc like Pitt likes to do, but I, I think it's very important that, you know, right now the linebackers are kind of the leaders of the defense and how deep they are. So I think it's important that, you know, uh, an offense like Tennessee is going to get their big plays. But the thing about it is they just have to trust the defense. Don't do someone else's job and do their job. I mean, I, I don't want to compare it to kind of like, a um, you know, a triple option. I mean, you don't really see this offense that much. So, you know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on, you know, the other coaches preparing Pitt's defense to kind of put them in a situation where they're uncomfortable. And that's the whole entire thing with this, this gimmick offense. And I hate to say it, but it's, you know, it, it's a gimmick and they just want people to make mistakes. They want to capitalize it. And they want someone, you know, to, to get lazy, hit, hit the, the safety in a double move, you know, or, you know, a, a stop and go with, with, with the, the receiver on the corner and just, you know, trust the process, do what you're supposed to do and don't get bored. You know, and, and just believe in your teammates that they're going to do what they're going to do. You know, tackle right. I mean, tackle correct. And just do do the response. Do, do it is asked by the coaches. I mean, I personally think the um, the big point of this game is, you know, special teams. You know, I, I, I think, you know, Dorn and I, you know, we've always talked about like the hidden yardage. And that's, you know, with, with Coach Partridge when he was special teams coach at Pitt. You know, there's a lot of hidden yardage in special teams. And I think my personal opinion, I think whatever team has – an explosive play on special team is going to have the um, advantage later on in the game. That's just my opinion. Well, we have a new uh, segment uh, for the show, uh, Mad Dogs with Scott McKillop, the former All-American uh, linebacker. And we used to say Mad Dogs after we would break the huddle on defense. For my year, I played a defense at Pitt at, at linebacker. We would end with Mad Dogs. So this is Mad Dogs with McKillop. And you just brought up a great point. You know, don't, do your job. Don't try to do somebody else's job. And that can be tough, can it, Scott? You know, you know, you've you've you played a lot of linebacker at Pitt. You did it at the highest level. You were one of the best in the country. Um, so that means that you know what a lot of guys are doing. You know what everybody's really doing and where they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to end up. Um, even a guy like John Patrician, you know, played a lot of football, transferred from Penn State, 
was a safety, now moved the linebacker, had a great game, six tackles, two sacks. Um, how hard is it not to overdo your position? How hard is it to stay within your keys and not try to be somebody else uh, that you're not and just do your job and not try to do somebody else's job? How really hard is that? Well, I mean, it's, it's extremely difficult. I mean, you know, we, we've all coached some, some sports, some whatever at any level. And, you know, I, I think everyone can agree with me. I mean, there's, there's two types of players that are very difficult to coach. One that do everything of what you say to do and one that doesn't do anything what you tell them to do. So you, the worst thing you want to do is coach a robot. You still want their instinct to take over. And there's some, some times in the game, you know, where, you know, you have to just, you know, it's kind of a, a funny saying that myself, one of my former teammates said, almost like a spark plug play, where it's just like, you know, you're just going to take a, a gamble and, you know, do something that's not yours. But, you know, it's kind of like, obviously, it's a poor analogy now because I you got seven footers that are probably better three point shooters than, you know, ones or point guards. But it's like almost like when a big guy who's not supposed to shoot a three pointer shoots a three pointer and you're like, no, no, no. OK, great. Th thank you for making it. But it's just you, you, you got to trust the process. You got to believe, you know, if you're that backside linebacker and a, a one back power and your job is to make sure that backside gap is, you know, taken and you don't over, you don't flow too fast because what's going to happen is, you know, after the fifth time when you're flowing too fast, those coaches up in the box whose their job is to look at certain things and they single down and say, hey, coach, just, so you know, that backside linebacker is flowing fast or, you know, like, like when Bill was saying, like a bubble screen, like a bubble and go, like if. If that guy's, you know, not trying to cheat a little bit and not honor that that receiver, you know, and, and it's like, hey, I'm just telling you that the, the stop and goes there. So it's just, you know, not getting bored. And, you know, I, I think that's where, you know, it really, really rely on, you know, your, your quality control coaches or your off the field coaches who really, you know, can can have your your eyes that, you know, the position coach really isn't looking at. But I mean, it's it, it's extremely important. You know, I mean, I, I was extremely I'm, I'm biased because Patricia's, you know, a, a local boy from where I'm from and uh happy to see someone like that who's you know a, a seventh year senior uh to be successful but you know it's you, you're gonna need a lot of people to be fresh and ready I think like Jerry said it's gonna be hot you know it's gonna be loud uh you know I, I don't know when the last time Pitt is, is is played you know in front of a crowd like this but you know I'm, I'm I think they're up for the challenge and uh we'll uh we'll, we'll see how it happens Jerry, with the emergence of patrician uh, for this first game, and, you know, having a great game, Servasie, Dennis, Wendell Davis, Phil Campbell, uh, you know, I mean, this group is deep. Is this the best group? Is this the best group uh, and the strongest group on defense for the Pitt Panthers, the linebacker group? I think it is. I, I think linebacker is they're go about six or seven or eight deep. Uh, they they caught on, you know, some guys that. You know, maybe uh, some fans don't know, like like uh, Kamara, Bengali Kamara came off the bench and you know, saw some interesting minutes. Uh, you know, the the one thing you know I'm learning uh, sitting here talking to two All Americans and All Conference guy is, is football, and I'm learning, learning. You made a really good point, Doran, about explosive plays. If Pitt can minimize the, the explosive plays, if they'd done that last year, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have won more than six games. You go back to the Boston College game, the NC State game, Miami, Clemson, all the Notre Dame, all those games were pockmarked with big plays against the defense, and Pitt was just making some mental mistakes, which I thought was really strange to see with with two uh, you know experienced safeties back there. Now this year you have two. Uh, relatively inexperienced safeties back there and an inexperienced cornerback. 
So, so there may be a chance for, for Pitt to make some mistakes this year back in that secondary. But on the other hand, it's, like we talked earlier, it is a two-edged sword. Uh, you know, one thing I learned this week talking to the guys is that, you know, when you go fast like that, you know, it's the defense might be, you know, in, a, in the wrong position. But what, what if the offense, you know, they go too fast and all of a sudden the, the ball's on the ground because they weren't paying attention because they're just trying to get the snap off. You know, Pitt is, Pitt is, Pitt is prepared for this speed. They've used, they've done a defense before and they're, they're not, they're used to it. They played Central Florida twice. Now, Narduzzi said on Monday that when he watched the, uh, Bowling Green game, the the uh, Tennessee Bowling Green game, they were snapping the ball within 11 seconds. Well, we talked to uh, Phil Campbell, the outside linebacker, yesterday, and he said in practice the scout team was coming out and snapping the ball in, inside of seven seconds. If you can imagine that, you know, I, I, you know, you guys may know better than me because we don't get to watch practice. But when you, how can you? They line up two different offensive units to do that, right? Because one offensive unit can't snap the ball twice in seven seconds, right? So you got to have another another one ready to go. And I think that's what they did in practice. And, and once they get in the game and there's only one offensive unit out there, it kind of be a lot easier. Um, and plus, these guys are all seniors and all experienced guys. You know, I, I've been going back and forth on my prediction, which we'll make, I guess, later in this podcast. But uh, uh, I think Pitt has a good chance to win this game. Jerry, I mean, I'm about to elaborate off of what I said, then Scott said, then you said uh, about explosive plays. And, you know, we all love to watch offense uh, make plays. We love to watch quarterbacks throw deep and the receiver catch it and run in the end zone for an 80-yard bomb. We love to watch the defense make an interception and take it back to the house. But there's explosive plays on special teams, just like Scott said, you know, on the coverage unit as a punter, pinning a team in the, you know, in, in their five-yard line, uh, the coverage unit making a big play, uh, you know, even a returner making a big play. You know, those things all predicate on what's going to happen in a situational drive in a game. And those are explosive plays as well. And, you know, I'm with Scott here. You know, I I think this game is probably going to be one on special teams and what, whoever, whoever has the most turnovers on defense and whoever has the most hidden yardage in the best hidden yardage on special teams is going to win this game because it's going to be close. Uh, You know, these teams are, they're, they're somewhat similar, but they're not. Um, you know, they, they're, they're two teams that are trying to find their way in their conferences and trying to make a big splash this year. So this game is going to be close. It's going to be loud. And Bill, you know, wrapping back around with you before we uh, end this segment out, um, you know, how, how big is hand signals as a quarterback whenever it's loud? Uh, we know that there's going to be a lot of noise. They're practicing with crowd noise. But, you know, how crucial is it for Kenny to have hand signals? And, and obviously they're going to be running a silent count and for the offensive line to be on the same page, but hand signals with their backs and the receivers, how, how difficult is that to be on the same page with your skilled players? Yeah. So first off, this type of communication is literally going to be sign language. Uh, Cause when, when you get up to that six figure audience and <laughs> that aspect uh, guys can, you're, you're going quarterbacks are literally going to be screaming. Kenny's not going to have a voice at the end of this game because just to call the play in the huddle is going to be for lack of better words an elevated tone in his voice to where he's almost going to be screaming just to make sure every single person as he's looking in the huddle can understand and hear hear his voice so communication is going to be absolutely crucial so then once we snap once we break from from the line and and get get to the line from the huddle 
now the guys outside, they can't, they can't hear anything. So when Kenny's changing the play, he's literally going to be walking up or running up to the front of the line and having to scream in their ear and then look out to the receiver and hit and hand, you know, hit him with some type of hand signal or, you know, tap on the side of the leg for, for this, or, you know, what it hit the helmet, you know, grab the face mask, all those types of things. And they're going to be practicing that like crazy uh, throughout the week with crowd noise, simulating crowd noise. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be a huge thing for Kenny specifically, just because obviously he's, he, he's a veteran at this. He, he understands what he needs to do, but I think it's going to be completely, uh, and, and utterly crucial for him to emphasize the importance of when he gives a signal that this was main, this, this was Bible for our offense. If I gave you a hand signal and you didn't give it back to me, that's like me verbally telling you to do something or asking you a question and you not responding. That means you didn't hear me. You didn't see my saying my signal. So I'm looking for Kenny to be, straight up, you know, it's all in these guys ear throughout the week. Hey guys, I, I need you to, you know, here's this signal. This is what this means, you know, just nonstop repetition uh, as far as, you know, communication. And I'm sure it's going to be very similar on the defensive side because they're not going to be able to talk. They're not going to be able to hear things. They already have a lot of hand signals as it is, but communication in general for this game with this audience and these, you know, this amount of, um, you know, audience and, and just volume levels is, is going to be crazy. It's something that they're not used to and communication is just going to be absolutely important. Bill, that's right, interesting, right. interesting what you just said. I'm sorry, Doran. You said if you gave a hand signal to one of your guys and he didn't give one back, that means he's not paying attention and you're going somewhere else. You know, you're not looking at him at all. That's you're well, eliminating that option entirely. Right. I, I mean, honestly, I absolutely. There, there's been times where I was trying to get someone's attention and, Hey, you, you, you have the play clock and that's with them not, you know, giving me the, the signal back. That's like them saying no to my, to my, to my question, you know, so to speak. And there, that means they didn't get the signal. Then that means I, I can't go to them. Everyone else is on, is on a different page and my receiver didn't get the signal. So therefore I hope my read doesn't go to him because if it does now I'm for lack of a better word screwed in, in that, in that aspect and have to go on to, to the next read. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Jerry. Yeah. That, that was a way of just making sure that, Hey, communications here, a clear, decisive message was, was uh, sent, sent to my receiver. And he, he gave the, the signal back saying, Hey, we're, we're on the same page. That's the kind of inside football stuff that is the reason you get the big bucks, right, Bill? <laughs> uh, that's interesting well, stuff. it really is you know i'll leave i'll leave the big bucks to to the all americans here <laughs> well we're gonna go big and go around the horn for 30 seconds um i would like to know each of yours opinion on how Pitt comes out of this game with a win bill we'll start with you all right 30 seconds here we go uh can't drop touchdowns we have to we have to catch a rock in the red zone uh Red zone is extremely important. Uh, stats, people lie, numbers don't. Stats are, we had uh, 10 appearances in the red zone and we scored eight times and only kicked one field goal. That's how you win football. 
That's how you score touchdowns in the red zone. That's what Pitt needs to do consistently, but we cannot have self-inflicted wounds. So no turnovers, and we need to score six points once we get in that red zone. Scott? I think the, the biggest thing for them is fundamentals. I mean, just do your job. Like I said earlier, don't do someone else's. And, uh, you know, play smart. Don't, don't miss any tackles. And, you know, just uh, get off the field in third and long, which they, they usually have um, a high success rate. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I wonder if we'll see the designated fall person. For, for some of you people who don't know who that is, is with the high-tempo offense. Usually no one will admit it, but a, the defense has a designated fall person or has a injury for some reason. <laughs> We've even seen those guys no, a bunch of times. Even if there's no injury. Jerry, how about you? I love this inside football stuff, you guys. You guys are great. Uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, uh, this week about the noise and about the uh, you know million people that are going to be crammed in the Neyland Stadium on, on Saturday. But Pitt has done this before. It was only two years ago that Kenny Pickett quarterbacked the game up at Penn State. And that the atmosphere up there was just as volatile, uh, just as unfriendly, and, and just as loud as they're going to get in at Neyland Stadium. Well, the offense didn't play real great against Penn State that, that day, but that was Penn State's defense. This is Tennessee's defense, and I think it's definitely more vulnerable than Tennessee was. And I, I really believe that uh, Pitt, with all their seniors and all their super seniors, and uh, Patricia and I is a seventh-year senior, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think Pitt's going to be able to handle the pressure, handle the speed, is, is handle the heat, and handle the noise, and they're going to win. Uh, we're going to make a prediction now or later. Score. We're going to do a score? I, I, I'm going to give, I'm gonna give how the, my uh, spiel how Pitt's going to get out of this game with a win. And I'm going to go old school uh, from my high school football coach, Bob Palco, and what he preached to us every single game is be the most physical team. Uh, you, if you go in there and you hit somebody in the mouth, Every single play, they'll quit. And a lot of us have been in that situation before where that guy across from you, or you're that guy, where you're just eating the guy across from you alive all game, and you're out physical in him every single play, and he knows that he has to come back the next series and face you. That is what Pitt needs to do. Up front, on defense, on special teams. Be the most physical team, and you will leave Knoxville feeling really good heading into next week whenever you come back home to Heinz Field. Uh, my prediction, I'm going to say Pitt wins 27 to 20 over the Tennessee Volunteers. Jerry? Well, I've been going back and forth all week, and I'll probably change my mind before kickoff on Saturday. But I'm going to say 21 uh, 20 Pitt. And I'm going to say that they're going to be losing 20 to 14. Pickett's going to lead them on a two minute drive, uh, about 50 or 60 yards. And uh, he's going to hit it. Uh, is he a Banacanda for a screen pass for the winning touchdown? Bill? I'm going 24-17 Pitt. Kenny has three touchdown passes. Scott? I have it 35-31 Pitt. I have uh, Kenny Pickett. I'm going to steal Jerry's line, leading a fourth-quarter drive, kind of cementing his history in the rivalry and uh, scoring on the last play of the game to put him on top. Pitt special? No, no, not this no. time. Okay, not not this time. You can't pull that. I pull that on him twice. He's he's too smart for that. Well, the Pitt Panthers take on the Tennessee Volunteers this Saturday at 12 p.m. at Neyland Stadium down in Knoxville. For myself, 
Phil Stahl, Jerry DePaula, and Scott McKillop. We hope you enjoyed the show today on the Pit Believe in Pit podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.